following message was recorded at River City Church. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, just open at 1 Samuel 17, and many of you will know where that is and, and what that story is about. We're going to come back to that in a little while, but I've got to say some things first in the lead up to that. And first of all, the first thing maybe to say is that every person in this church has questions. If you're sitting here and you think you don't have questions, you're not being honest. Every person in this church has questions. But I want to encourage you, that's where God begins. Jesus was asked many questions. But the record of the gospel shows that he himself asked three times the number of questions that he was asked. So if you have questions, that's where the Holy Spirit begins. God's always working in our lives. And so I'm speaking this morning about some things that I've had questions about for years. But those questions enabled the Holy Spirit to get to work in my life and to show me some things, you know. Right the way through the Bible, God's voice calls life into being. God's voice calls life into being but that being is not the being of an individual it's being with God is being with God I remember when I worked as a, as a vet I used to go around Donegal especially and I'd drive into a yard and I'd go to the boot of the car and I'd go to take my drugs out of the boot and then the first person I'd meet would not be the farmer it would usually be the farmer's dog and you could tell an awful lot about the place you're in by the reaction of that dog I'd normally turn around and I'd reach my hand out maybe to pet the dog. And some dogs would let you pet them, and other dogs, they'd shrink back in fear. Maybe they have aggressive sort of barking and a reaction to you. Uh, that was their reaction to a man's hand reaching out to them. And so from their reactions, you could tell, as a word, the rule that they were living under. And I found the same with Christians. I found that if you reach out to believers with the gospel of God's grace, their first reactions tell you a lot about the rule that they've been living under. You see, to heal a life that has been dominated and manipulated through fear takes some time. But even the most fearful, aggressive dogs can be healed with love. I've seen that myself as a vet, and I found the same with myself and with other Christians. The healing that comes through the gospel of God's grace. So it's sad to see believers who have sat under the rod of the law for so long in church that when they first encounter the extravagance and the gentleness of the Father, they draw back in fear. They find it so hard to believe that God could be so loving and generous because so many preachers have not spoken to them as children of God, but as workers for God. They've heard a thousand messages of what they could do that might change their city if only they would become better Christians. And yet deep down, after all those a thousand messages, we're all left carrying a cigarette shame. And that is that we don't appear to have become yet this person that everybody keeps talking about, whom apparently God wants us to become. And we feel that by now God must be as disappointed in us as we are in ourselves. You see, messages about who you could become for God might motivate believers to work harder for God, but they have no power to change a heart. Because any message that points you to yourself has no power to change you. That's worth saying again. 
there is no power in any message that points you to you. Now, you and I can go to church for a thousand years and at the end of that time be still trying to become a good Christian. Does that resonate in your spirit? Do you know that to be true? Let me save you a thousand years. We don't become more righteous for God. We were made righteous in God. For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. You know, there's a joke really about the American tourist. Apologies, Kevin and Christine. (laughs) They were driving around Ireland. And one day they get lost and they stop to ask an Irish farmer the way to Dublin. And he famously says to them, well, if I was going to Dublin, I wouldn't start from here. (laughs) Now, we always laugh at that, but I believe that for multitudes of Christians, we've been left feeling that we've been on the road in church now for years, but we never seem to have reached the place that we're trying to get to. Every Sunday we come, the preacher gives us more directions as to how to get to this great place that we're trying to get to. But then we come back the following Sunday for more directions and more. And sometimes it feels like we're getting closer, but often there can be Sundays where you feel you're as far away as ever. Can anybody say amen? Amen. Well, maybe you see that Irish farmer had something. Maybe the Holy Spirit has been ever so gently speaking to us and ever so patiently waiting for us all to get to the end of our roads so we can finally hear what he's been saying all along. And I believe the Spirit has been saying to the church, you're starting in the wrong place, for I'm not here to help you become a stronger I. For a stronger I has never been the solution. A stronger I has always been the problem. Adam, you see, in trying to be a stronger individual, that's where all our problems began. You could say that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, as we see in Genesis, that was the I tree. It always looked wise and looked so good for getting wisdom to think that if only I could do better for God, then my life would turn around. But that lie has only ever done one thing. It's always deferred your hope to another day. Always a day when I am stronger. Does anybody here realize that day never comes? There's never a day when I am strong enough to be a good Christian. That lie only ever defers our hope I love that little verse in Proverbs 13 that says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but it's a dream fulfilled that's the tree of life. Those are those two different trees. Your Heavenly Father never expected you to do one thing by yourself. Jesus never, ever did anything by himself. You know, at the end of the day, he couldn't even carry his cross himself. He needed help, you know. God has never asked us to produce the Christian life. Jesus said this, apart from me, you can do nothing. nothing. Every earthly religion will start you in the wrong place, for it starts you in you. Believer, you don't have a life that started with your willpower, for you're not born of the will of man or the decision of a human decision. You are born of God. That's 1 John 1.13. And we are given the Holy Spirit, not so that we can try harder to get somewhere, but so that we can rest from somewhere, a place called hidden with Christ and God. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Health and healing and everything else in our mind comes from that rest. God wants a people who have entered their rest and finished from their works as he has from his. Praise God. And by the Spirit, we can live from there. We can live with God. 
Whether we find ourselves in a palace or shackled to a wall of a dungeon, you can live with God in whatever place you be. Even in the sickness of your body, you can live with God. With God. That's that eternal life manifesting even in this physical realm. Now that message sounds very foolish to a world that cannot see what Christ has done and therefore insists that you must save yourself. It even sounds foolish to the earthly-minded church who in being so enriched in earthly resources has neglected to be filled with the Spirit who shows us who we are and where we are. So we've been left merely giving more and more directions on how to become, how to reach your destination. And we just look at the phones we carry. The whole world is drowning in good advice. Everybody wants to tell you how to save yourself. Here is what you must do to save yourself. That's an earthly message. That's not the gospel. Here is what you must do to save yourself is not the gospel. That's an earthly message. We have not been given the Holy Spirit that would merely preach an earthly message more eloquently. We've been given a supernatural message. The gospel is the news of what Christ has done to save us. Behold, look, world, the Lamb of God has taken away the sins of the world. That's the gospel. Behold, look, death has been swallowed up by life. Behold, look, we no longer have to save ourselves. Look, that's the gospel. Look, his way to save us was never to stand on the bank of the river and shout at us instructions for us to try and save ourselves from drowning. His way was to jump into the river, wrap us in himself, and his grip on us is tighter than the grip of death. We sing that so often. Death has lost its grip on me. Can you say that this morning? Because his grip is a tighter grip. I thank God I'm no longer living, trying, hoping that maybe my grip on him is tighter and tight enough. I have lost all faith in my grip on him. My faith is in his grip on me. That changes everything. That lifts religion. That sets you free. That delivers you, you know. I believe in the laying on of hands. I believe in deliverance. The most powerful deliverance you can ever receive is to be delivered from all your life waiting to become into a life of being. Deliverance from becoming to being. That's like coming from death to life. The whole of creation is groaning for the church to be and to stop becoming. Stop sitting in buildings trying to become something. You all it says and we begin there we begin from who we are we begin from the heavenly realm we don't begin in you we begin in him that's what the gospel says no i need you to tell me that and you need me to tell you that praise god and that's what we do by the holy spirit praise god he allows us to do that praise the lord i think jesus must have known that we'd be sitting under so much instruction in this world that we'd get so easily conformed to the world of becoming that we'd lose the revelation of our being in him. He knew this would happen. He did. We allow the world and we allow the earthly-minded church to instruct and advise us right out of being and back into becoming. You're never ready. And then you sit here for years and years and years thinking, well, I could never share about Christ. I'm not ready yet. But maybe next year I'll be ready. Listen, (laughs) You'll never be ready if you don't receive the revelation that you were made ready in Christ. You're perfect in Him, you know. We need to be less sin-conscious, more son-conscious. More conscious, really, of what He has done than what you and I have done. That's what sets us free to be everything we are. Then you see, in the day of your worst failure, you still stand up and speak of Christ. 
because you're pointing people to him and to his strength in you which even gives us the strength to overcome all the weaknesses of our lives praise god the greatest transformation a person can experience is to be delivered by the voice of God from a life of becoming into a life of being. And I believe the Holy Spirit is awakening the church. We heard that word last week from, from Mary. There is an awakening going on to a greater revelation of our heavenly life. And I believe that is necessary because this generation of the church has imbibed more earthly advice on how to become and what we need to do to save ourselves than any previous generation of the church. Because we have so many resources. You know, a few years ago, the Lord gave me a picture of how the church could have fallen asleep. How is it that the church could have gone into a comatose state where we're not even aware of who we are or what we have? Where we're almost waiting and waiting and waiting for a better day. How did we get trapped in these buildings? And the picture he gave me was the fact that in Ireland for years, people, when they made whiskey, made it in these lead stills and pots. And unfortunately, alcohol absorbs the lead. And so people who drink this alcohol that had lead in it, they get lead poisoning. And lead poisoning causes you to fall into a coma. People were obsessed about being buried alive. And so the Irish wake started. Well, you'd lay somebody out and you'd sing loudly over them for those two or three days to try and wake them, as it were, from the dead. So how, you know, unfortunately, if you have taken in sufficient lead, even loud music won't wake you. Just because the music is amazing in a church doesn't automatically mean that the believers there have awoken to their heavenly life. How did the modern church imbibe so much of the spirit of the world, the spirit that speaks of what we must become in order to save ourselves? It happened because just as whiskey can carry lead, so it's possible to mix what Paul called the ministry of death, the law, into the gospel. And in such small quantities that it cannot be easily discerned. But over time, the effect is unmistakable. I used to treat calves with lead poisoning. You've probably done this too, Kerry. You know, and uh, calves very often would get lead poisoning because the paint that was on the side of their pens, and this old paint used to have lead in it, you know. And the symptoms of lead poisoning in a calf were quite remarkable. Um, they would actually begin to go blind. They'd start to wander aimlessly. And they'd also do something. They'd start to head press. They'd start to press their head up against the wall. They would literally start banging their heads against a brick wall. The longer Christians have been imbibing the law with their gospel, the blinder they become to the fact that his divine power has already granted us all things pertaining to life and godliness. And do you know what happens when you can't see that what you've been given in Christ is all things? You spend a lifetime asking in prayer for what is already yours in Christ. Do you know what that looks like to the heavenly realm? It looks like the church banging its head against a brick wall. And that's where many believers have been left. You know why churches are so empty? Because so many people have left. They got fed up banging their head against a brick wall coming for directions week after week and never seeming to arrive at this great place they were promised. Always been started in the wrong place. Always been spoken to as the I and never the us. Amen. Keep drinking in gospel messages that have as a little law mixed in with grace. Messages that keep leaving your hope on yourself, your obedience, your prayer life, your giving, and you'll be left spiritually banging your head against a brick wall and a real headache to your friends and family because you keep directing them to their willpower as well. 
The treatment I used to give calves actually was an injection. It's called a, a chelating agent. Uh, and I had the power to bind the lead particles so that they could be excreted out of the body. It neutralized the effect of the lead, you know. And I think that's the power of the gospel of God's grace too. It's purity in pointing to Christ alone. It sort of neutralizes the effect of so many messages that left you bound to yourself rather than bound to Christ. Isn't that what those messages do? They just leave you bound to yourself. <laughs> bound to yourself. People used to leave me bound to myself for years, I guess, really. And this is your experience in church as well. Where you went out with your fingers crossed, thinking, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to give more. I must get to more meetings. I must, I must, I, 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 I. If whatever message you hear from a pulpit leaves I trying to be a stronger, you did not hear the gospel. Yeah. For here's the gospel. I died. That's the gospel. I died. I was buried. I was risen with Christ. It's now no longer I, praise God. For my life is now hidden with Christ and God. That's the gospel. So that treatment really used to try and get rid of the lead from calves' bodies, you know. And I think that's the power of the gospel of God's grace. It's purity in pointing to Christ alone neutralizes the effect of so many messages that left you bound to yourself. Keep pointing people to their performance for God and they end up more wrapped up in themselves than ever before. Praise God. That's a message actually that today is on the YouTube channel on binding the Lazarus Church. <laughs> Stop wrapping up Christians in themselves. To see people by the power of the Spirit is to see who they are with God. And the gospel preached in the power of the Spirit, the power of us, calls them up into that life. The with God life is beautiful. So we're talking this morning about the difference then between living an earthly God has left me to save myself life and the heavenly God has saved me life. My life is with him. The earthly life is an I life. The heavenly life is an us life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick but praise God a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. The earthly life is always becoming but never being. The heart is always sick because your hope is always in another day. But to live the heavenly life is to live from a dream fulfilled the tree of life. Christ it is to live and move and find your being in God. Amen. Not your becoming in God. Hallelujah. Your being in God. Right the way through the Bible, God's voice calls life into being. But that being is not being an individual. It's being with God. Do you remember Gideon? Gideon lived a life of always becoming but never being. He lived the if-only life. If only my tribe wasn't the weakest. If only I wasn't the smallest in my family. If only, if only God helped us against our enemies. If only, if only, if only. Then God comes and speaks to him. And the voice of God calls him into being. He says, Behold, mighty warrior, whom the Lord is with. I am with you. You can go today because I am with you today. You see, this is who you are. I declare you are the one who is with me. And from that day, Gideon can come into his true being. His life of becoming was over. He could now be the man whom God was with and everything else that followed from that. Praise God. Gideon found the strength to be through the voice, you see. You see, the voice gives us the strength. Faith comes by hearing. It's actually in the proclamation of the gospel is the power to be. You know, it's not that this is telling you and trying to motivate you to go and try and do better. But if you will hear the voice of God declaring to you who you are today because of Christ's you find yourself empowered to be that. So the proclamation of the gospel, it doesn't present people with the promise of God, but with the presence of God. 
It's the presence of God that changes us. We're in the presence of God. We have the presence of God. In the presence of God, all things are possible. Praise God. I don't want to live waiting for some promise. The people before the cross lived waiting for the promise. We're not living before the cross. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. We have the presence of God. We are people of His presence. We carry His presence into this city. Praise God. Even if you can't remember a single Bible verse, turn up with your family in the presence of God. Amen. Praise God. I always just think sometimes with uh, family members, you know, I used to say, do you mind if I, can, do you mind if I say grace? <laughs> That's all, only I could get in, you know. Couldn't preach. Good. Do you mind if I say grace, you know? And then just talk to your father. Presence of God. Amen. Presence of God. Amen. It's such a beautiful thing. To preach the gospel in the power of the Spirit is not merely to present people with the promise of God, but with the presence of God in us. You see, the church may have forgotten, but the Holy Spirit has not, that it was not an earthly message about getting to heaven one day that first set the church free from being locked in a building. It was the message, behold, look, God is with us. I was Pentecost. Behold, look, we are the people God is with. So I want to finish by looking at an example, Ray, of someone from the land of us, walking in the land of I. So this is our scripture, 1 Samuel. Have a little look. 1 Samuel 17. Because I believe that the church is being awakened to God with us because there are giants in the land. There are lies that have kept God's people shackled and bound in fear. Look at 1 Samuel 4. Even all the children know this verse. This is Goliath walking out in all his strength. And it says here in 1 Samuel 17 from verse 4, And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath, from Garth, whose height was six cubits and a span. I think that's over nine feet. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield bearer went before him. Now, what's all that about? Well, you know, he was the, uh, if you think of the most advanced technology the Americans have today, I say the Americans because they're always ahead of everybody else, you know. What would it be, Kevin? Maybe the stealth fighter or some fantastic supernatural technological, you know, that makes them head and shoulders above everyone else. Goliath was that. This was the height of technology in those days. Do you understand? He was the strongest eye in the world at that day. There was no stronger eye than a man over nine feet tall with all that armor. He was at the very edge of technology of his day. And that's what's actually standing there. Goliath's faith is in himself. That's how high a man can stand. He is the champion of the I life. Now I want you to hear the message that comes from the I life. Listen to what he said. Verse 8. Goliath stood and he cried out to the armies of Israel. And he said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And you, the servants of Saul, choose a man for yourselves. Let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now listen again to Goliath's challenge. He asked for a man. Can you hear what he's doing? He's calling out the individual. That's what the enemy does. Calls out the individual. That's his tactic. He wants to separate us from God. And so he calls out the individual life. The enemy calls out the I. The spirit calls out the us. 
I'll say it again. The enemy calls out the I. The spirit calls out the us. That's the spirit that's in this world. And the more the church becomes influenced by the individualistic spirit, then the more the gospel she preaches becomes leavened by the law. For the law speaks to the individual, speaks to the flesh. And if the law does its job properly, it leaves every mouth shut and every head bowed in defeat. For that's his job. For there is no power in I to become as God is. Do you understand that? That's why the Holy Spirit never asks us to do anything by ourselves. For he is not, is he not the same spirit of him who said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus and the Holy Spirit are not in disagreement about that. So how can the Holy Spirit be the one who's calling out the I? The Holy Spirit does not call out the individual to do better for God. For that was the original lie that brought us down. God has left you to save yourself. It was the lie that brought down the first Adam, but it could not bring down the last Adam. Praise God, even though that lie was thrown at him from the desert to the cross. If you are the Son of God, why don't you? Come on, stand up to the mark. Be an individual, Jesus. Get down off that cross. Turn those rocks into bread. You see, that's the lie. That's calling out the eye. Jesus didn't fall for that. The first Adam did, the last Adam didn't. He was never separated from the Father. That was his strength. When they said to him, how do you do what you do? He says, it's not a you. It's me and the Father. I only do what I see him doing. This is the us life. This is the life we're called into. The enemy points each of us at ourselves and says, your hope of glory is a stronger eye. The Holy Spirit points each of us to Christ and says, our hope of glory is Christ in us. For the Spirit knows what the church tends to forget. A stronger eye has never been the solution. Stronger eye has always been the problem. God's solution was to put a stroke through the eye. The cross is an eye with a stroke through it. Praise God. In Christ, we were cut off from the eye life and joined to the us life. And the weapons of the enemy now, the only weapon he has left is to keep us in the dark, to continue to speak to the eye. If a preacher is preaching by the power of the Spirit, he will not be calling forth the eye. If you forget everything I say this morning, remember that. If a preacher is preaching by the power of the Holy Spirit, he will not be calling forth the eye, the stronger eye. For that only births works of the flesh that leads to competition and division. Aren't we better than the church down the road? No, you're not. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. The fact that there are so many motivational speakers in the church is not a sign of strength, but quite the opposite. It's a sign that we've been so influenced by the spirit of the world, the spirit that exalts the I, that we actually think that I have been left to do something for God by myself. That's a sign we have diluted down the gospel so much with the law that we've been blinded to what the whole of heaven can see. I died, and our life now is hidden with Christ and God. We have an our life. We have an us life. You see, the effect of Goliath's proclamation and his demonstration of strength is that each man now looks at himself. All of those soldiers of Israel now each look at themselves and go, Oh my God, look at me. I, I couldn't go up against him. Look at me. You see what that does? That preaching drops your eyes onto yourself, leaves you paralyzed with fear, takes you out of the becoming, takes you out of the being and back into the becoming. So eventually, that whole army were no longer being the people of God because of that proclamation over them. Come out, bring out the eye, bring out the eye. But our, hype, our, our life in Christ is not a hope deferred, you know. When those soldiers looked at themselves, they thought, you know what, 
Maybe one day I could take him on, but not today. <laughs> Maybe I should eat. I'll go away and eat a little bit more. Maybe I'll grow to be nine feet tall. Maybe I'll get a spear like that. Maybe I'll get a shield like that. Maybe I'll get armor like that. And then I'll take him on. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. You see what the, that message does? The message speaks to the eye, leaves you waiting for a better day. I don't know about you. I'm not waiting for a better day. I've, I've had up to here waiting for a better day. Praise God. The gospel you're sitting under is what begets the life you're living. Everyone here this morning is living the life they're believing in. The gospel they're believing in. That's why the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians a remarkable truth. You have 10,000 instructors, but not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father. I begot you through the gospel. You see, when you're hearing the gospel properly, you come into your being. You don't spend another 20 years in church trying to become a good Christian. You come into your being. Because you're a Christian not because of your new behavior, but because of your new birth. The gospel you're sitting under is what begets the life you're living. The message these Israelites were sitting under for 40 days was God has left you to save yourselves. And the effect of that message was to paralyze them. And that's where the church is paralyzed for sitting under the message that God has left you to save yourself by your good behavior. And that continued for 40 days until from the land of us came a little boy walking into the land of I. Little shepherd boy called David. God takes the foolish things, the weak things, to show us that it's not the strength of the eye. Young shepherd called David. And I want to close this morning by showing you the effect of a niche on a nation of a life lived in the presence of God, a heavenly life. Such a life can awaken a nation. I'll say it again. Such a life can awaken a nation. And that's why the nation cannot awake to the presence of God until the church first awakes to the presence of God. This nation cannot awake to the presence of God until the church first awakes to the presence of God. Look at verse 26. I love this. The Lord showed me this actually a few weeks ago in the prayer meeting on a Thursday night. <laughs> the power of acknowledgement. If we will start to acknowledge what God is doing, if we will start to acknowledge his presence, acknowledge the truth, say, oh my God, you are in this place. Like Jacob, who woke up after a dream and he said, oh my goodness, God is in this place. Oh, if the church would wake up. You know, I speak to my own soul this morning. I am awakening. You know, when you wake up, sometimes the light is so bright, you squint. The church is doing this at the minute. We're sort of squinting, you know. This gospel is so bright. When Paul had that experience in the road to Damascus, he said the light that he saw was brighter than the noonday sun. There's a lot of squinting going on in the church at the gospel of grace, you know. But keep squinting because you're waking up. God is waking up his church. Praise God. So, you see, when, when David turned up, he started to do something beautiful. He started to acknowledge that, that God is with us. He went up to someone and said, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Uncircumcised. What he's saying is, God's not with him. God's not with him. Isn't God with us? And somebody said, go and ask somebody else. So he goes up to somebody else, excuse me, aren't we the people God is with? Yes. Go and tell him. Excuse me, aren't we the people God is with? Went up and told his brother Eliab, big strong man, he's get out of here. Excuse me, aren't we the people God is with? He kept going around saying that. And he started to change the atmosphere. And people started to say, I, I don't understand what he's saying. I can feel the atmosphere changing. Everywhere I go, when I preach the gospel of grace, I know many believers aren't understanding, but they can feel the atmosphere change. The atmosphere is changing. So they, they start pushing him up towards Saul's tent. We don't know what this boy is saying, but he's got something. He's got something. So they send him into the tent of the king of Saul, you know. And I want you to see something. Because Saul, 
He doesn't understand either. He hasn't had that encounter. He doesn't have a revelation of God with him. And look at verse 37. Saul is still under the spirit of Goliath, the spirit of I, because he says to David there, the Lord be with you. But then immediately he gives Saul his armor. You see, that is, that's mixture. That's mixture right there. The mixture of law and grace, the mixture of I and us. Saul is saying, yes, God is with us, but it depends more on you than you realize, David. That's what we've heard all our lives in church. The more the church has become encumbered about with natural resources, we've tended to hand these on to the next generation. Yes, God is with you, but you need a sound system and a great building and a congregation of several hundred people before God is really with you. No, that's not the gospel. One man can change a nation. One man with God can change a generation. That's what the Bible tells us. Now, sometimes it takes a storm to strip us back to the bare essentials and cause us to remember that God first worked in power in our lives and we had nothing. I believe COVID has been such a storm. I believe it stripped the church. And in stripping the church of so much natural resources, it's brought us back to the truth, back to the gospel. That when we first moved through us, we had nothing to recommend us. Paul said that to the Galatians. Can I remind you? Did you first see the miracles by the hearing of faith or by the works of the law? Was it all the stuff you were doing or was it simply the proclamation of the gospel that caused the miraculous in your lives? You know, I, I was thinking about this. I'm looking forward to having the cafe and uh, the better building and the facilities and more people. But that's not where my hope is because that's not where the power is. Yes. <laughs> I could have had that place built years ago if I'd stood here and preached a message that, look what we could do if only you'd give more and we could have this, we could have that. That's not the gospel. And I'm not there anymore because I'm not letting anybody defer my hope to a better day. Today is the best day of my life. That's where I'm living today. I'm not going to anybody say, oh, we could have a better. No, you could have a better nothing. You have Christ with you. You have enough for your life. Whether you're chained to a wall or in a palace, it doesn't matter. Whether people have walked out and you left you with your body sick, it doesn't matter. You can't have a better life than you have today in Christ. That's the God of the gospel. It's so beautiful, isn't it? It's so beautiful. So I'm going to just finish now by showing you, in fact, David trying on that armor. Because um, what we're saying this morning is, are we not the people God is with? That's what David was saying as he went around that army. Are we not the people God is with? He's with us today. And David tries on the armor and he says something interesting. He says, it's too heavy for me to be in. It's too heavy for me to be in, you know. And I believe we're sat under gospel messages that have weighed us down with works of the flesh. And then we're wondering, where's the lightness in our spirit? Where's the joy of our salvation gone? Where's it gone? Because the church has encumbered us about with so much armor. The presence of God is your shield. The presence of God is your sword. The presence of God is all we need. And it's all we have. We don't need anything else, praise God. Instead of using an armor, David simply acknowledges the presence of God. He knows the presence of God is all he needs. And the more he acknowledges God is with him, the stronger he grows. And the more foolish his testimony sounds to the earthly minds. It sounds so foolish to Goliath that he's enraged by it. Just as the Pharisees were enraged by Stephen's testimony of Christ, man and God together. You know, I've seen Christians so dulled by the spirit of religion the spur that lifts up the eye, that they've become enraged at me for preaching that through Christ, God took the eye and put a stroke through it. Praise God. That in fact, he's no longer counting people's sins against him and he's not expecting people to do something about their sins as if dead men were capable of raising themselves to life. 
Like those dogs I mentioned earlier, only creatures who are trying to save themselves snarl and bark at the hand that reaches out to lift them up. Only creatures who are trying to save themselves snarl and bark at the hand that reaches out to lift them up. A thousand years of instruction on the knowledge of good and evil cannot give a man the power to overcome sin. That's the wrong tree to point people to. For a stronger eye has never been the solution. It's always been the problem. Goliath at that moment was the strongest eye in the world. So let's finish by listening to David preach the gospel of us to the eye. This is what he said from verse 45. David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. And this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. See, he's prophesying now. (laughs) That's what you can do when you're full of the Holy Spirit. You can prophesy. This day I will give you the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So according to David's own testimony, he conquered in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he didn't deliver Goliath into God's hand. God delivered Goliath into David's hand. We can know God is with us, not because we've delivered ourselves from sin, but because Christ has delivered us from sin. That's worth saying again. We can know God is with us, not because we've delivered ourselves from sin, but because Christ has delivered us from sin. He took the eye and he put a stroke through it. He took off the head of the giant. And that's what happened in Christ. Christ, you see, everything in the Old Testament is actually Jesus. We don't read the Bible and think, right, what do I have to do now? I, I, need, to, I need to be more like David. No, Jesus did that for you. He took the head off the giant. He took the head off the old eye. We have a new head. That's why we're the new body. We have a new head. Our head is Christ. Our head now is the last Adam, not the first Adam. You know, the old Jewish, there was an old Jewish legend that Adam, the first Adam, was buried at Golgotha. He was buried at the foot of the cross. And in medieval times, they used to have a legend that, in fact, when the earthquake happened, when Jesus died, the rock split and the blood of Jesus went down through the crack and went on to the body of the first Adam, so redeeming Adam. (laughs) Now, you don't have to believe that to know the redemption of Christ but you do have to believe that the blood of Jesus has cleansed you of your sin and if you believe that you can partake of this life because we partake of this life through faith and faith comes by praise God so we're going to come to the table this is a table of healing this is a table of restoration this is a table of beautiful life that we have you know and I put out a picture during the week for this message I found this beautiful picture of a bride standing with her bouquet And I thought about David. David, under the old covenant, he had a sling and he had a stone and he had to bring down the giant with that sling, you know. And sometimes if you have more old covenant minded, you see Christians trying to fight people, trying to pull people down, speaking against people, you know. We never, ever speak against people. Jesus never spoke about people. He was against the principalities and powers, the thinking, the wrong things people think that brings them into such bondage, you know. And I was thinking... Our weapons of our warfare are not the same as they were, not the weapons of the world. The weapon of our warfare is the proclamation of what Christ has done. And I thought of that picture of that bride with her bouquet, and I thought, yeah, that's our weapon. 
Our weapon now is what Christ has done. Our weapon, actually, is the gospel of our union with Christ. That's our weapon. And with that weapon, we can actually bring other people into the kingdom. Do you know what a wedding, what a bride does? She stands with her back, and she takes her bouquet. What does she do with it? She throws it. What happens to the person who catches it? Can anybody, can anybody here, can anybody here catch the gospel this morning? Can you catch what God has done for you? Can you catch the bouquet? Can you catch the revelation of a union with Christ? If you can catch that, you can be married. All we do every Sunday, we throw out the bouquet. Catch it. Children, catch it. Adults, catch it. Catch it and be. Stop becoming. There's an old phrase, always the bridesmaid, never the bride. That's the church. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. As long as you remain under the law, it's always the bridesmaid, never the bride. We're the bride. We're the bride. This is our day of celebration. This is our day of celebration. This is the wedding feast we're in today. Praise God. This is the table. Praise God. So we proclaim healing and life at this table. We proclaim the words of Jesus who said, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This is for the forgiveness of sins. This is for the redemption of lives. He asked us to remember what he had done. He said, This is the cup of remembrance. I want you to remember what I have done. I want you to lift your eyes off what you're doing. And I want you to remember what I have done. That I have done enough for you to be. That nobody here be trying to become a better anything. That you would be. We all started as children being our parents looked at us and they knew who, they, who we were and they spoke to us by the name they give us. And we grew up into that name because they never changed their mind on us. They never called us a different name. They never altered our name because of our behavior. They called us by that one name from the moment we're born. From the moment you're born again, here's the name God calls you. Perfect in Christ. Oh my Lord, perfect in Christ. Amen.